We are in the, um, we're in a, I'm in a series on Paul, and Marta preached for the last four weeks, which is really good. We listened to it in the car coming back from Waco, Texas, uh, listened to the live stream. I listened because I was driving, I didn't watch it. And um, so it was really, really good, so I got a little bit of a tough act to follow. I thought it was really good. Uh, but I'm back on, and we're, we're going through Paul's little letters right now, so, um, so let's pick this up. You'll want to open on your phone a Bible app of some sort, Bible Gateway or Bible.com or whatever, or if, <laughs> if you have a hard copy Bible, that'll work too. Uh, so Philippians, the book of Philippians from Paul, and jump on over to Philippians chapter 4. Very short little letter, and the, the entire tone of it just cruises. He, he is moving fast. The, his tonality is a very, very intriguing little letter, super encouraging. So Philippians chapter 4, picking it up on verse 4 through 7. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, the peace and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. So we do pick up where we left off a month ago on Paul's fired up letters, because I think he's really fired up. We did Galatians, we did Ephesians, Philippians, we'll do Colossians next week, and then we'll do a collection of his larger letters in Romans and Corinthians after that. So um, let me um, give you, hey Jane, in my bag there is a, a LED pointer in that front pocket I forgot to put in my pocket, it's silver. Yay, that's it, you're so good. Thank you for being such a kind person. So, hey, can you change the batteries on the thing? No, I'm kidding. So uh, I have a map of this. Um, I think I have a map. Here we go. So um, Philippi is right here, and this is the city he's talking about. This is Paul's second missionary journey. He had three great big journeys, and this is the Philippi's right up here, okay? So remember Rome's over here, and they're in charge here in the first century A.D., Jerusalem's down here in the Holy Land, Sea of Galilee right there, Antioch, really where Christianity got its, its serious start. So that's where we're talking, so you know what's going on. Um, it's, Philippi is this important city in, Mas uh, in entrance into Macedonia, that larger chunk there where Greece is now. And, um, and it's really the entrance point uh, uh, along the Appian Way to all points west, including Rome. So very, very critical. Armies move this way. All you had to do is jump across the Aegean Sea, and you're there. So notice on this second journey here, he's pretty much traveled to his furthest point away from Jerusalem and from Antioch. He's on the far reaches. Now, we know, according to legend, that uh, Paul eventually makes it to Rome to go and stand before Caesar. So... Um, but that's, this is as far as we know for certain where he kind of gets to, unless you want to count Corinth and all the points down below that. All right? So here in Philippi, Paul finds a very receptive, gracious group of Hellenized Jews. Remember, Hellenized Jews are Jews that have been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. Hellenized, meaning Greek-atized. Uh, and also not just Hellenized Jews, but new converts to the way of Jesus Christ, who they would, Jews would have called Gentiles, or if we would probably call pagan. 
So let's agree to this. Philippians is the most positive and inspiring letter, not only within Paul's letters, not only within the New Testament, but the most inspiring little letter in all of the Bible. It could be argued, but I think Philippians is going to win. It is inspiring. It's encouraging. Philippians are not struggling with some heresy or controversy, as Paul is usually trying to manage in his other letters. Yes, he still warns the the Christians in Philippi, he warns them of the usual problem that could arise at any moment. The problem is that the Judaizers, which is what the scriptures call them, are going around telling these new Christians that they have to become Jewish before they can become Christian. And um, which namely means that the men have to be circumcised and everyone has to follow the laws of Moses, uh, like keeping kosher, keep the Sabbath. Basically, they've got to become Jews, which for Paul, he saw was a way backwards. Okay, and that Christ had set us free from all of that. But Paul uh, doesn't have anything but glowing praise for his brothers and sisters off in Philippi. And Philippians is this letter of hope and encouragement. But here's what makes it absolutely really incredible he's writing this letter from prison. From prison. And the guy is just pumped. He's jacked up. It's so, he's so positive. And he's in prison. Now, scholars don't really know if uh, where he's writing from. There's three possibilities. Ephesus, uh, Caesarea, um, I, and, you know, another one I can't remember to tell you the truth. Um, but they don't really quite know what kind of prison it was because there was basically two kinds. There was the dungeon kind, you know, thank you, Halloween. I mean, there's the dungeon type prison, and then there was house arrest. But whichever one it was, in either case, dungeon or house arrest, you don't eat unless you have friends bringing you something to eat. Because the Roman Empire does not care if you die in prison. Not their problem. There is no notion of compassion for people who have been arrested and charged under Roman law. You are guilty. <laughs> so forget all your democracy and all that sort of thing and rights of people. Although Paul was a Roman citizen, and so he had some rights there. The Philippians, uh, therefore, had sent money to Paul, right? They had given him a gift while he's in prison to help him eat and in hopes that he gets out to continue to fund his missionary journey for travel and food and everybody that's traveling with him, Okay. So, uh, as a matter of fact, let's go to Philippians chapter 4, the next few verses there in chapter 4, verse, beginning in verse 10, and you'll kind of see uh, what Paul's talking about here. He says, I rejoice, Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. That kind of sounds like a little backhanded compliment, but let's just keep going. Now at last you revive your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Guess they have opportunity. Now they know where he is. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever I have. I know what it's like. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Notice, just dissect that for just that one sentence. He's learned the secret of being well-fed and the secret, the secret of going hungry. Interesting. 
There's a whole Bible study on itself right there. And of having plenty and being in need. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. Now, in my little world, this is where I hear Paul being his best rabbi. And by rabbi, I mean a Yiddish New York rabbi. Because, which, you know, it was only 2,000 years later. Because he's kind of doing this whole thing of like, I didn't need anything, but thank you for the gift. And I didn't really need the gift, but I didn't have anything. I'm in prison, but that's okay. Don't worry about me. I'm good. How many Jewish mothers does it take to change a light bulb? None. I'll just sit here in the dark. It's okay. Nobody care about me. It's fine. Who cares if anybody ever visits me? I'm just alone. Don't worry. And I kind of get this drift that you guys are picking this up out of his language. You know, if you actually keep reading, if you have your Bible open, you just kind of keep reading past verse 14. You kind of, he keeps doing the same sort of interplay, this sort of thing like, I didn't, I'm fine. I'm just rotting in prison, but you were gracious enough to send me something. Although I didn't need it, although I'm really in need. You know, it's really kind of, I don't know. I digress a little bit, but it's an interesting sort of interplay on how he's writing this sort of thank you note to these guys, all right? So, indeed, we do well at this point to imitate Paul. I have learned to be content. I have learned to be content. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. And in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. And then he says this famous verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Brothers and sisters, I implore you, commit to memory. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you don't have that in your deck, you're missing out. You're going to need it over and over and over in life. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We are in such a time where this verse applies. We're in a time of times. We are in a transitional time, or if you want to use a fancy word, we're in a liminal time. We're, in a, we're on the fence of moving from the past into the future. All because, well... Not all, but because of a pandemic. We are in a trial, a very real trial. And not only are we in a time of polarizing politics, but we're in an age of secularism. Secularism has won, if you want to put it that way, in our lifetime. We have, we have transitioned, no longer really a Christian society, although it's there, but we have become a secular society in all of its force. We have become uh, mundane, to use a technical term. We have become material. We have become, we, can, we only ask the question, can we, and never why. We have become functional, instrumentalist. And I can load you up with more philosophical terms than any of us could ever digest. This is secularism. God and Christianity have been tossed out with the past week's garbage out of date and out of touch by secular people. Thoughts and prayers, just thoughts and prayers, use that as your litmus test, are met with an eye roll if someone's polite 
and sarcasm, hatred, and curses at its worst. I spoke with a man this week who left the church long ago, said he and his family and his parents left the church long ago, and he was adamant, preaching as just as much as I am right now, preaching, we don't need the church, he said. We don't need that. In sort of a dismissive, it's obsolete. Why would I waste my time doing that? And by this he meant each person can choose their own adventure. They choose their own truth. They choose their own friends. They, they, they choose their own right and wrong. They're, they can make anything they want spiritual in its meaning. Why would I need some dusty old organization called the church to tell me what I already know? That's secularism. But it gets worse. The question arises, are we in a pandemic after the pandemic? I I know we're not over the pandemic, but are we in a pandemic after the pandemic? Is there a post-pandemic pandemic? A pandemic of sadness, of disconnection, of anxiety, of fear, anger, caution? Are our children sick because they spent the last few years in a fear of a disease, meaning also a fear of other people, that's translated into some low-grade, angry sort of mob sensation? Because they're afraid that someone's going to come get them or something's going to get them or this thing's going to get them called coronavirus or whatever is going on and that they should stay away from people and all other things. When school fell apart. I paint it in pretty colorful, you know, catastrophic language. But do you feel some sense of it? Some feeling of pulling away? Chris was mentioning at the top of the service. This reluctance... This, I'd just rather not. I think I'm just going to stay home. I'm fine not doing what I used to do. Last Sunday, Pastor Marta suggested that we're living out a trauma, to use a therapeutic word. We're living out a trauma. The world has been traumatized. The result is this huge disconnection. And so many of us are hurt and scared Not really scared of COVID, because we're kind of getting over that, you know. But we're scared of being scarred by people. Whether it's political, or whether it's our neighborhood, or or just whatever it is. It's a pervasive trauma that says, I'd rather not. I'm going to unplug. How do we know we're in a trauma? Well, we, we don't. And that's, by the way, one of the features of trauma is that you usually don't know. You usually say, I'm just fine. But when people are traumatized, they shut down. Everything is potentially dangerous, and they don't know why. They don't go to the office. They don't go to the grocery store. They don't go to church. They don't risk airports and crowded spaces. Trauma makes you feel unsafe and insecure. Trauma leaves you lost and confused, and it's all underneath, all underneath the water table. Trauma makes you feel unsafe. And, and so what's really weird about trauma is that you may actually feel very functional. 
I go to the grocery store. You may be saying to yourself right now, they said you don't go to the grocery store. I go to the grocery store. I got on airplanes. I got on an airplane. I'm, I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about. But at the same time, we exhibit a relational insecurity. All of this is a severe anxiety. But Paul, Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We don't know we're in a trauma. But there's little indications that say something's wrong and we don't know what it is. When I was in college at KU over in Lawrence, I came home. Yeah, I know. Just keep it. Uh, when I was in college at KU and I came home for um, the family's fall um, cookout every fall all five kids and everything, we, everybody came into town and we loaded up and went out to the spectacular um, earthen dam in Olathe. I know, it was a destination. And um, <clears throat> I got home and I walked up to my family's, uh, the place where I'd grown up. And I went to the front door and there on the front door was a note saying, go to the hospital, your father's had a heart attack. <clears throat> I go to the hospital, he had not had a heart attack, he'd had a massive stroke, an aneurysm. Um, and fallen in, uh, what I saw laying in a hospital bed was a man that was entirely green, black, um, everything. He'd had this aneurysm, this massive stroke, barely survived, only because the ambulance was about a block away. And my mother at the same time was severely diabetic, and for the next 20 years, they barely survived. And the family was over. And I was the last of five, and I was alone, you know. All I had at that time, because I was a Christian, were exactly these words out of Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I, I might be unique, but I never doubted God through all that. I argued with God. I know some people just trash can the whole relationship with God and something like that, but I just didn't. It didn't occur to me. But I sure felt alone. You know, um, those words, don't be anxious, but but just take it to God. I just live that day in and day out. And I think right now in this pandemic, <laughs> I think we're all feeling this sort of alone thing, like something's abandoned us and gone wrong. We're all quiet and we're anxious and we smile and we find a little bit of humor here and there and we cling to that, but we're alone. All of us have lost something. And we need to cry out to God. 
that um, when my dad had his stroke, the next month in December, I just, it was so bottled up inside of me, I just took off out for Clinton Lake at a little campsite that me and the guys would go out to to just, you know, cook over a fire and have fun, run through the woods, you know, like guys do. And uh, I just went out there by myself. I packed up all my stuff, and I went out there, and I sat by the fire on that cold December night, and it was just me and God, and I just ranted, and I told my story, and I poured it out to God out loud. If somebody came walking through those woods, and they'd say, that is the craziest freaking college kid I've ever seen. The guy's possessed. And I did that for hours, in the wee hours of the night, until all my story was out. And I didn't have anything else left to say to God. A man came in my office years ago and said, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. And then for the nearly the next hour, he told me his whole life story. I mean his whole life story. And I don't think I hardly said anything the entire time. And at the end, all he said was, well, thanks for listening. And that was that, and he left. Maybe church, everyone, is just the place where you tell your story. You get the space to just tell your story. You know, when you pay money and go to a therapist, which I did for about 10 years, you, you tell your story. They charge you for it. But you get to tell your story. And it's really, really healthy and really, really helpful because you don't know your story until you say it. And it all becomes untangled. Uh, I have a few friends around here at Lakeland. I've had them from the beginning. And we now take trips together. We're at a stage in life, an age in life, you know, where we can take trips together, you know, because the kids are gone. woo And, uh, I mean, uh, we love our kids. Um, and... Uh, You'd think these trips, you know, would be these Christian holy events that we'd spend time in prayer and reading the Bible together and singing songs and, and uh, you know, memorizing scripture and go evangelizing, build some houses for the homeless or something like that, you know, and do a lot of holy stuff. But I honestly have to tell you, we don't do any of that. Um, we just laugh a lot. And we recall memories together, really dumb, stupid, pointless things, near-death experiences, other stuff that we've done out of stupidity. And um, we just continue to create our story together. And those are the people I trust right now. And they're my peace. And um, you got to have some people that continue your story, where you can tell your story. We, we create meaning together. It's not because we don't have our meaning in God. It's actually because we have our meaning in God that we actually get together. It's not a unique Christian discipline to find a group, small group of friends and hang out together. But I know this. My time when these friends is holy. It's holy writ. And we are in each other's story. It is about belonging. And if you don't have anyone to belong to, life can be very, very hard. And during a pandemic, 
it can be devastating, especially if we're in the pandemic after the pandemic. Are you anxious, traumatized, alone, even right now, sitting here with a group of people, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you alone? Are you anxious? Perhaps death came calling, you know, during the pandemic. Maybe it was you. You know why you don't have to be anxious? Paul explains it. If you go back and look at the verses right there in Philippians chapter 4. Look for his reason. Why do you not have to be anxious? Because the Lord is near. That's what it says. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. It's the proximity of God in our lives that causes us to rest. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. He's in other people as near. And we just have to find one, one or two people to trust. And trust enough to be safe with them. That's all we need in this life. This is how we get through this time. This is how we get through life, even before the pandemic. Just one or two is all you need. And if you walk through the lobby after this and you say, like, I don't know these people, like, it's okay. All you got to know is one or two. And then you're like, hey, man, this is my church. That's how it works. You know, I, I'm confident that our resilient kids will someday heal. I think they will be okay. I think we will be okay. I'm concerned about this disconnection, though, lasting, and that it becomes ingrained in all of us. And we no longer care or have compassion for one another. But I think we'll heal. I think Paul's words help us heal. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. It's going to be okay. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what we'll tell ourselves. You see why I love Philippians? I I love it because a guy rotting in prison is saying like, it's all cool. And you're like, are you kidding me? You know, and like I said at the beginning of the pandemic, all we're being asked to do is sit on the sofa at home, not rot in a prison. Can we move on, you know? And apparently it's hard to move on. It's just hard to do. And we're going to have to deal with that and be okay with it. This week, I got a a poem from John Wood, Pastor John Wood, uh, Pastor Gal, and it's a prison poem because for the last four years, he's been in prison out in western China, serving a seven-year term. He's been standing right here before, encouraging us. And every now and then, uh, our friend Pastor Jack sends me a poem that he writes, sitting in prison. And this one's based on Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Cause me to lie down in green pastures. This is what John said. God made me lie down in green pastures and led me beside still waters. That's how my life is now. My cell is my green pasture. The blessings of God are appearing each day in my mind. 
He says, write four sentences. Lying in green grass, will I suffer from poverty? For the river of life nourishes. Epic appears. And so I write down with my diligent pen. He's in a prison cell, and that's his green pasture. What do we have to fear? Let's pray. Lord, you are near. I don't even like to want to pray to you as though you're far off and we just now invited you in. Like you weren't here before, but now, but now since we've called upon you that you appear. You were here all the time. Where were we, Lord, right now? Where were we? Why did we walk away? When you're there the entire time and we don't have anything to worry about. I, I know, Lord, we have everything to worry about. But we don't have everything to worry about because we don't have to be anxious because you are near. And we can do everything because of you. Because of Jesus, who went to the cross on our behalf and made us one. Everything is reconciled. Lord, help us to reconcile with ourselves. Help us to reconcile with the world around us. Help us, Lord, not to judge, but instead of claiming our first thought about others, Lord, may we claim the second thought. The second thought that says, maybe they're having a hard day, and I need to lighten up. Make us those kind of Christians. Let our light shine. And let us be the people of God. And in the name of Jesus, we all said, amen.